This morning, would you hear our scripture reading? Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is God's word. Again, I want to say good morning to all who are here and anyone joining with us online, and a happy Thanksgiving to all of you. On this Thanksgiving weekend, it's such a joy to get to celebrate together with so many of our brothers and sisters in the faith. That reading, I said, was from Psalm 3, and that psalm is one of lament. David crying out to God in his distress. But even in the midst of his suffering, he praises and brings thanksgiving to God. As we immerse ourselves in the text of Scripture this morning, I hope that you would be willing to come to our God in prayer to thank Him for what He has done and to remember all that we have to be thankful for and to also beseech Him for. So would you come with me to our God in prayer? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all things. We thank you for both the good and the bad. For we know that you are God and you are good, that your ways are above our ways and your thoughts are above our thoughts. And even the things that for us we cannot reconcile with what we think is right, we know that none of these things are outside of your control, that you are sovereign over all things. And we take all of these things from you and we thank you for them, for you have ordained them. And you do not make bad plans, O Lord. Lord, we thank you for the government that you've placed over us here in Canada. We think of our Prime Minister this morning, Justin Trudeau. We ask that you would cause him to rule righteously, to make decisions that would honor and glorify you, and that he would know you. He would have a saving knowledge of you, that you would grab hold of his soul, and that he would worship you with all his heart. We think of our new Premier, Danielle Smith, and we pray that you would give her wisdom as well as she attempts to walk the line of politics and personal life and all of these things, Lord. It is not easy to be in politics, and we pray for all of the politicians and our leaders in our land that you would give them wisdom, that they might be able to live and rule righteously. We think also of our MLA Hansen and our Mayor Perch Tang and 
God, we, we cannot imagine the difficulty that it is to lead. And God, as they lead, we pray that they would do so in a way that is in accordance with your word. That your word would be their rule book and their guide for how they should lead. And Lord, even when our leaders do not lead in a way that seems to be in accordance with what you have commanded, we pray that you would give us the grace to give them the honor that they are due because you have placed them in these positions of authority. You have ordained that they would be there. And that you would also give us the voices to speak up when things are not right, when things are against your word. Lord, we know that as we give you thanks, that there are also many who are either not here with us because they couldn't be because of their health, and some that are here with us that are struggling with health difficulties. And Lord, we pray that you would relieve them of these difficulties in their health. You know their bodies, you know our bodies far better than any doctor or any other could. And we ask that you would bring healing. And for those that are under the care of medical teams, we pray you would give wisdom to these doctors and you would cause their treatments to be effective in making our bodies work well and that we might glorify you with the days that you've given us. As we gather with so many loved ones over this Thanksgiving season, we just ask that you would be with the travelers, those who are on the roads coming and going. We thank you for the gorgeous weather that we're having, that they might be able to travel safely. And that as we gather together with one another, that our times of Thanksgiving would not be just a celebration of worldly good things that we have received. For even in those worldly good things, we know that we have received them from you, for you are the source of all good things. So may our eyes be constantly, even in those things, turned towards you. Even as we feast on delicious foods, may our eyes be turned towards you as the provider of those things. And Lord, as we spend time in your word, we ask that you would open it to our hearts and apply it to our hearts in a way that we might leave here changed. That we would not hear your words and that it would fall on hard soil and rocky ground, Lord, but that it would find good root and grow and produce a crop in our lives. That we might know you and glorify you in the way that we live and act. And God, that in your will that we might come to see you face to face when it comes our time to, to leave this earth. Lord, we trust these things to you and the service to you. We thank them in Jesus' name. Amen. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that God is so good in the way that he orchestrates our sermon calendars. Here we are, Thanksgiving weekend, and we are set to hear from Jonah 2. This is no finagling of my own to make this fit. We are going to be hearing from Jonah's prayer of Thanksgiving here on Thanksgiving weekend. All in God's timing. As I was reading and seeing Jonah's prayer, we just read Psalm 3, and Psalm 3 is a psalm of lament, but also a psalm of thanksgiving. And Jonah pulls several pieces from Psalm 3 as he, as he brings his psalm from the belly of the fish. 
In the typical lament psalm, you have the address to God and the complaint. This is my issue. And then a request for God's help followed by an expression of trusting God. At this point in Jonah's journey, there is no real question what his lament might be. He's just been thrown from a ship and eaten by a fish. We know what his issue is. His primary focus as he brings this psalm is expressing his thanksgiving and trust. He is thankful for God's gracious provision and protection, and he recognizes that it is totally unmerited on his part. Before I go too far this morning, would you read with me, starting in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and running to the end of chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. As we dive into this beautiful psalm by our wayward prophet this morning, I do have a confession to make. I struggle with Jonah. I see his disobedience. I see his selfishness. Later on, we'll see how he desires good for himself. He wants to be saved from the fish, and yet he wants that same salvation to be withheld from the Assyrians in Nineveh. Depending on the moment in this book, Jonah is like this petulant child that just doesn't get his way and is mad about it. So I, I struggle with Jonah. Isn't he supposed to be a prophet of the Lord? But if I look closer, I realize that I struggle with Jonah because I am like Jonah. Last week we read how Jonah, caught in the midst of his flight on this ship on the ocean, he confesses these, this to the sailors, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. He then goes on to extol the very greatness of the God that he's running from. In Sunday school we have these table questions and I might have tipped my hand a little bit I asked if it didn't seem hypocritical of Jonah given his current situation. In my heart, I want to dislike Jonah because of what I've seen in him. Even in today's passage, this is the high point for Jonah in 
this whole book. His best moment. And even at his best, my first instinct was to look for more faults in Jonah. I even started my study noting all of the eyes and me's that goes on throughout his psalm of thanksgiving, looking for something to jump on Jonah about again. But as I talked this passage out with a brother of mine, I realized I dislike Jonah because he is so thoroughly human, because he is so thoroughly and very like me. The flashes in the pan of clarity and devotion to God mixed in with other moments of glaring fallen humanity. So I apologize if in my, even in my Sunday school questions, if I let a sense of moral superiority to Jonah shine through. Don't get me wrong, Jonah has his faults, some major faults, but no more than you or I. Perhaps one of my struggles with Jonah is we never really do get to hear the end of the story. Did Jonah continue to grow in faithfulness? Or did he continue to resist God's will? Either way, we don't hear the end of his story. We hear up until his issue with Nineveh is brought before him with God. But we need to keep a watch on our own hearts. Lest we fall prey to the pride that says, if it were me, if I were in his place, I would have done it better. Hindsight is truly 2020. How many of us have made faithless decisions that even ourselves, looking back on them, we go, man, I wish I could change that. I would do that differently. Much less from the viewpoint of an outside observer with an omniscient view. We look at Jonah's life and we see all of the cobwebs in the shadows and we like to jump on Jonah for that. I do anyways. But if someone were to have an omniscient view of my life, they would see all the same cobwebs and shadows. So let us recognize that Jonah is in this moment demonstrating a remarkable faithfulness to God to applaud him for that. And the same for our brothers and sisters here as they show moments of faithfulness to God and let us encourage one another in our moments of faithfulness and in our moments of faithlessness, let us encourage one another and not get on the moral high horse and start jumping on people when they go astray. Anyways, that is my caveat this morning and back to the passage at hand. The first and last verses of our passage become bookends. They tell us where and to whom we should be looking. That's why I included the last verse of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It is the Lord that caused these things to happen. The storm that necessitated Jonah's impromptu swim didn't just happen. 
the fish didn't just happen upon Jonah. It didn't just happen to get sick, releasing Jonah upon dry land. The Lord hurled the tempest. The Lord appointed the fish. The Lord spoke to the fish to vomit Jonah up. And all eyes this morning should be on him. And as he brings this psalm, Jonah's eyes certainly were. The Lord appoints this great fish to swallow up Jonah. He spends three days and three nights in this fish. And then Jonah prays the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. The rest of Jonah's account, if you were to take this part out, seems plausible enough to us. Guy gets a call to go. He decides to run. There's a storm. He gets chucked in the ocean. Maybe God saves him in some more plausible way. And then he goes and is mad about it. And all of that seems more or less plausible. But the sheer implausibility of this one item, not only is, not only is Jonah swallowed by a fish, he is swallowed and kept alive and even praised from the belly of this fish. If you tell me that doesn't sound crazy to you, I will know you're lying. You've been swallowed by a giant fish and kept alive somehow in the midst of all of that. That's the kind of thing that our world likes to point to and say, this is what you believe? These are the fairy tales you believe in? That's why in Christian circles, some have even relegated Jonah to this kind of fictionalized account. This is just a parable. This didn't actually happen. Jonah will... It says he was swallowed by a fish, but this is just a good moral lesson here. Some would probably like to say that Jonah didn't even exist at all if he wasn't mentioned in the historical account in 2 Kings. But I want to point out that nowhere in this book and nowhere in Scripture is there any identifying mark that this is a work of fiction. Actually, Jesus himself references Jonah In an argument with the Pharisees in Matthew 12, he says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I certainly would not want to hear any of us going so far as to say that Jesus did not actually spend three days and three nights in the grave. There are many that have said so. Well, that's just metaphorical. Jesus didn't actually die or some variation thereof. So perhaps we should take Jonah at its word. For God is capable of much more than just keeping a man alive in the belly of a fish. Anyways, now we come to Jonah's psalm. His expression of incredible thanksgiving to the Lord. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look on your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We're told that this comes from the belly of a fish. And at the conclusion of this expression of thanksgiving, we're told that Jonah is sometime thereafter expelled from the belly of said fish. And yet, this is a prayer of thanksgiving. I've noticed that difficult situations in our lives rarely travel alone. I can identify with the psalmist in Psalm 42.7 where he says, Deep calls to the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. If you've ever spent any time in the ocean, perhaps you've had a moment where you've been knocked down by a wave and you finally get your feet under you and you go to stand back up only to catch another wave on the way in. It's a scary thing. Waves rolling over you and just wanting to come up for a breath of air. I wonder if Jonah felt a bit of this. Jonah is gone down to the deep. He is dying at the bottom of the ocean, and yet he is saved. Not by a person pulling him up. He finds himself now in the belly of a fish. I do not think that the belly of a great fish is on my list of must-see destinations. But Jonah is not worried about his particular situation in this circumstance. He's not worried about where or how God saved him. The first verse of this psalm is his focus. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Thinking of Jonah here, regardless of where I am, regardless of my current situation, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. He was on death's doorstep. Some even argue that Jonah actually did die as he went down. But either way, dead or dying, Jonah is saved. Jonah called out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. And through verses 3 to 6, we have his remembrance of it. Such a vivid picture of what Jonah is going through, and you can just hear the despair and the angst, and this is what I'm going through that he speaks to. And this is all past tense. He's thinking about it later. And I think that this type of intentional memory is an important skill for God's people. Every day that you or I draw breath on this earth, we, like Jonah in the belly of the fish, will be reminded of the faithless and fallen world we live in. And we'll be even reminded of our own faithlessness. And there's an element in our culture that advances this Lion King-S, Hakuna Matata style of life where it's no worries, past is in the past, leave it there and just move on. No need to carry your past with you, no need to worry about it. 
And some of us do need a reminder that we are in Christ and we are a new creation in Him. And we do need to press forward. But an intentional memory of what God has saved us from, not dredging up the past, not wallowing in guilt, becomes a memento of sorts. Look at what God has done and look where he has taken me to now. If we completely put our past behind us, if we completely forget about everything that's back and just look forward, fixing our eyes on Jesus, if we fix our eyes on Jesus and completely forget the past, then we don't remember what Jesus has saved us from. We need to remember what we have been saved from as well as focusing on what we're saved unto. I like to think of it like a glance in the rearview mirror. If I spend my entire life looking in the rearview mirror of the car, I'm not going to make it out of this parking lot without hitting someone. But at the same time, it's important to every now and then glance in the rear view and know what's behind us. Like I said, the language here is past tense. This is where Jonah was. This is the things he was going through and that God was taking him through. For we know that God is sovereign over all things. All of these things were within God's control. God could have made Jonah go straight to Nineveh. But God ordained that this is how it would go. Jonah remembers those things, but he doesn't live there. He goes on to say, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. That is where I was, and this is what God has done. Each one of us who's sitting here is here this morning. Each one of us joining online is able to join us online. We have been granted by God another day. And if we are willing to look, we will see how God has preserved us even in the midst of our greatest trials, even if right now we are going through some of those greatest trials. Our intentional memory of God's faithfulness must include an intentional recognition of God's faithfulness, how he provided a way through the storm to where we are today, even if today we, like Jonah, were just vomited up out of a fish. I love that there's this memory that seems to crop up in verse 8. It seems even a little bit out of place, but it serves to drive home the crescendo of this whole passage. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And immediately this regard for vain idols would apply to the sailors on the ship from which Jonah made his exit. Chapter 1, verse 5, The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. Jonah remembers just before he's thrown off that boat how each one is going, whatever God you believe in, pray to one of them, and somewhere in the shotgun blast of everyone praying to their individual gods, maybe one of them will hear us and save us. But the end of that story was all of the sailors and Jonah were forced to recognize that there is only one God who could save them. 
But beyond just those sailors, this forsaking of vain idols also applies to the Israelites that Jonah is coming from, as well as to the Ninevites to whom Jonah has been sent. The Israelites were forever struggling with their attraction to Baal and Asherah, and Nineveh was the religious center for the worship of the goddess Ishtar. So he's being taken from a society of Israelites who were forever turning to idols. He's being taken to an entire society dedicated to idols and other gods. And even on the ship he came from, everyone was turning to their own gods, and he recognizes that there is only one God to turn to. Even calling to those idols on the ship, only the one God was able to do anything. Jonah is clearly aware that the worship of these idols, the worship of any but the God that he presented before the sailors, the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, is what he said. He's aware that the worship of any but that God was a path to a far worse fate than even Jonah almost suffered. And that has not changed. We cannot worship any other God safely. We cannot just shotgun blast any and every religious ideology and say, hopefully I managed to somewhere in the midst of it hit one of them right. We must, with voices filled with thanksgiving, bring our sacrifices and our vows only to the Lord. And no longer is it sacrifices of animals or vows at the temple, but instead today we bring a living sacrifice to our God, laying our lives, every part of them, before our Lord. And our vow is that only Him shall we serve. He alone will be the object of our heart's affections. But this is not all about us. Jonah closes with this absolute ringer of a line that just echoes through scriptures. This is why indeed we get to worship God at all. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All of the rest of this story, you could forget anything about what Jonah was going through. You could forget that he was just thrown off a boat and eaten by a fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is Jonah's aha moment in all of this. Whatever he went through, salvation belongs to the Lord. There's several crossovers between our passage this morning and Psalm 3. The first being Jonah's crying out to the Lord. And the final being Jonah's acknowledgement that salvation does indeed belong to God. And remember how both this passage started and ended. Remember, these are outside of Jonah's words here. The Lord appointed a great fish. The Lord spoke to the fish. And in all of those things, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was saved because God saved him. There is salvation in no other God. And brothers and sisters, no matter your state, 
Salvation, both then and now, belongs only to God. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We're gathered here on a weekend that is all about being thankful. I love the tradition around so many Thanksgiving tables where, okay, everyone go around and list something that you're thankful about because so much of our lives is focused on the next thing. Not even necessarily getting the next thing, but just getting past or to the next thing, just kind of surviving. But being able to take that moment, what are we actually thankful for? And many of us will rightly list things like we are so thankful for our family. We are so thankful for the roofs over our heads. We're thankful for the food in front of us. We are thankful for the friends, the family, the jobs. But most of all, we need to be thankful that salvation belongs to the Lord. God has revealed his salvation to us. There is nothing better to be thankful for. We could live with nothing naked on the streets with not a penny to our name. And if salvation still belonged to the Lord, if we still know the Lord, then we have everything to be thankful for. One of my favorite passages that speaks of our salvation is Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Just as Jonah was powerless to effect his own salvation, floating at the bottom of the ocean, the weeds wrapped around his head, dead and dying at the bottom of the sea, probably the most fearsome place in the entire earth to us land-based creatures. Jonah is down there floundering with no hope, no chance, and God saved him. And it is the exact same for us. We were floundering without him. We had no hope, no chance, no way out until God saved us. We could not have saved ourselves while we are mired in our own sin. 
Like we said earlier, we like to wag our heads at Jonah. I know I do. I like to just shake my head at Jonah and go, what are you doing? He's so faithless, but we are him. We are every bit as prone to faithlessness and weakness. We cannot save ourselves just as Jonah could not. He had an entire boat full of seasoned mariners trying to row him to shore. He tried so hard to save himself. And we cannot calm the storms that so often try to wash over us. We all, to a one, are dependent upon God for everything. And God grants salvation to his people through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption. In him we have an inheritance. In him we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit if we have believed. And what does that inspire in Jonah when he realizes that salvation belongs to the Lord? It's thankfulness. God, like, I was dead and you saved me. So along with Jonah, let us be thankful that salvation belongs to the Lord. Just like Jonah, our current situation may leave something to be desired. Jonah says salvation belongs to the Lord while he's still in the mouth of a fish. He doesn't know where he's going from there. He doesn't know if eventually he's just going to get He's going to die in the mouth of the fish. Maybe that's what's going to happen to him. But he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And maybe you or I are in a rough situation right now. Maybe we're in a great situation. But no matter where we are, salvation still belongs to the Lord. You still have breath in your lungs. You are here today. You are watching online today. And... God has brought you thus far. Jonah trusted the Lord no matter his situation, even in the belly of this fish. So wherever you find yourself, trust yourself, your salvation, your everything to the Lord. And if we do so, then we will find that although life on this earth is not immediately or ever exactly as we hope, we will never walk this life alone without hope. That our blessed hope, eternity with Christ, there's going to be nothing left to be desired. We will walk forever with the one who has saved us, in whom we have salvation. And if you don't yet know Jesus, if you are floundering apart from his saving work, do what Jonah did. Call out to the Lord. That was his only shot. I'm dead and dying at the bottom of the ocean, so I called out to the Lord. Call out to him, and I promise you this. He will answer you. Maybe not in the way you expect, but he will answer you. And if you place your hope and your trust in him, you will be saved. Not necessarily from whatever situation you're trying to get out from underneath. Not necessarily from whatever health difficulty you're facing. But eternally, in the grand scheme of things, all of that pales in comparison 
if it takes falling to absolute rock bottom to find the truth and to be shown by God the truth of his salvation, so be it. Because if we are saved, if we find the salvation that belongs to the Lord, then everything else is worth it. Praise God that salvation belongs to the Lord. So the worship team comes and brings a closing song for us. I hope you would be willing to join with me in a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, to you we are eternally thankful. No matter where we are, whether we're in moments of joy and bliss or moments of utter suffering, we are thankful to you for salvation belongs to you. And if we have come to know you, if we have come to worship you and to bless your name with our whole being, we know that nothing on this earth can separate us from you. That no angel, no demon, no height, nor depth, none of us can take us away from your presence, O Lord. And that whatever we have to endure on this earth, it is worth it because we are yours. So, Lord, may we hold on to that. May we cling to that in the storms of this life. That even in the moments where we feel like we are on death's doorstep, that we would cry out to you. And God, some of us might find moments where we are on death's doorstep and we might cross over. We might die in that moment. But if we have called out to you, if we have placed our faith and our trust in you, we know that you have made a way, that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might know you, that we might be set into right relationship with you. And God, I pray that if there are anybody here this morning that does not know the good work of Jesus Christ personally, that you have not shown them and opened their eyes to the goodness of what you have done, God, I pray that you would open their eyes that you would help them to have that moment of clarity, the light bulb moment where they go, this is what Jesus has done. And God, for each one of us who maybe it's been years or decades even since we had that flash of clarity where we have placed our faith and trust in you, may that spark never grow old. May we not for a moment forget what it is that we have been saved from and what you have called us unto. And may we pursue you today with the exact same zeal and vigor as the person who was saved yesterday with just this heart on fire for you. May we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And may we pursue him every day of our lives and even in moments where we are imperfect, even in moments where we are like Jonah and we have a good day followed by a bad day, Lord, may we take the time, turn from our sin, and pursue you all over again. And may we find ourselves gradually becoming more and more conformed to the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
May we continue to grow in holiness until the day you call us home and we get to have faith become sight. And we get to know that all that you have told us in your word is so true and so good and so far beyond what we could have ever imagined. Lord, you are good. And Lord, we are thankful. Salvation belongs only to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.